Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Epic Failing Podcast. Today, we have with us Leonard Berkovitz, and he is with Mortgage Alliance. Now, Leonard, you've been a, a mortgage broker for how long? Oh, boy, uh, for about 15 years. All right on. Welcome to the Epic Failing Podcast. Excited to be here. Thank you so much, Ryan. Right on. So why I thought I'd bring you on, I've had a few other mortgage brokers on and I've worked with you extensively in the past here. There are some changes to the CMHC rules. Now in real estate, there's always changes, you know, this rule or that rule, but maybe we could talk a little bit about what these rules are and maybe some misconceptions that are coming up with these. Yeah, great question. And and it is definitely a concern for most Canadians in terms of the restrictions that are, are becoming more clear in terms of what's happening uh, July 1, effective July 1. So the first change that CMHC is adding will be the increase to the credit score, or sometimes they call it the beacon score. Actually, more recently, I believe it's now being called the FICO score. So the increase is going to be where one applicant must be at minimum 680. And so that will restrict many buyers with a lower credit score that cannot qualify effective July 1. What is traditionally a good credit score? So if 680 is is something that they're suggesting with this change, what traditionally would be a better score? Well, most lenders will start the ball rolling, lenders and insurers will start the ball rolling at around that 600. I would generally say north of 600, 610 or 620 with a good explanation as to why that is, is a good place to start. 650 is where most lenders will approve the file and take it on to CMHC to get the final approval. 680 is usually what I consider a very good score in that very good score category. So now CMHC effectively has been raising that bar to that very good score category. So north of 680 is where you want to be. What are some of the other rule changes here that are, are going on? Is that is that primarily? That is one of three rule changes. The second rule change is where the borrowers cannot borrow their down payment. So it used to be where clients could take out a loan or maybe take out a advance on their line of credit, an unsecured line of credit. But effective July 1, according to CMHC, they are no longer allowing borrowed sources for down payment purposes. Okay. Again, further restricting the clients in qualifying today for their mortgage. Now they have to save for their down payment. And down payments at minimum 5% could be fairly significant. If you have a $400,000 property that you're looking at purchasing, you'd need to save $20,000 down payments. Yeah, that could be significant. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Saying that gifted down payments. So the bank of mom and dad. That is one of those misconceptions that I wanted to talk about. There's a lot of concern out there 
in terms of gifted down payment. Gifted down payment is technically where the insurer's guidelines state that that is actually, in fact, coming from the client's own resources. So it's not part and parcel of what a borrowing portion of the down payment would be. In fact, it's really construed as your own resources. There are restrictions, however, to gifted down payment. Gifted down payment needs to come from an immediate family member. If it comes from a family friend, if it comes from a a coworker or something like that, then it's really considered more of a borrowed funds. But if it comes from a media family, then it is considered a gift and a gift is not considered as borrowed funds. Okay. So what is our number three? Number three, the third restriction is what we call total debt service ratios and gross debt service ratios. And basically what CMHC is doing is they are increasing those debt service ratios, in effect, reducing your purchasing power by about 11%. So that's a major, major change when you look at everything altogether. When you look at you need to increase your credit score, you need to borrow less, and they're raising the bar, if you will, in terms of your debt serviceability, what you can afford. So let's chat a little bit about the GDS. So GDS is gross debt service ratios. And basically what that is, is you're taking your housing expense and you are attributing up to no more than 35% of your housing expense towards what you can qualify for. So in effect, you're taking your principal interest, which is your mortgage payment, your taxes, your heat, and 50% of your condo fees, if it is a condo, and you are taking 35% of your income, and that's what your maximum allowable amount will be to qualify for the housing income side. The other end of the spectrum is the TDS, and it's basically taking the housing income and also inclusive of all of your other unsecured credit expenses as well. So things like if you have a car loan, what are the payments on that? If you have a unsecured line of credit, if you have a Visa, a MasterCard, if you have other mortgages, all of that gets lumped into the new standard, which is now no more than 42%. So the housing expense is going to be no more than 35%. The housing expense plus all of your unsecured debt, other mortgages that you have and other expenses on other properties that you have cannot be no more than 42%. So think of it this way, 35 and 42, are effective July 1, prior to July 1, which is coming up in the next couple days, but prior to July 1, as of today, it's actually 39.44 was the maximum. 
So you can see that there is quite a discrepancy, quite a variance between the 39.44 and the 35.42, going back down to 35.42. This makes things a little bit more difficult for clients to qualify, especially when we look at things a little bit more past our noses, if you will. We actually see things a little bit more into the future. Right now, it's a softer market. It's a softer economy because of COVID-19. But what happens when you have some segments in the Canadian market where the economy is hot, where housing market is booming? This restriction will limit people in terms of what they can purchase later on. Now, sometimes I look at some of these rules and especially with some of the ones in the past here. And I look at our, at our major centers and especially the ones that seem to be quite inflated like Vancouver and Toronto. And I think that sometimes there's maybe like a blanket policy that's thrown down because of CMHC being all of Canada. I think that sometimes it's, it's unrealistic for them to, to look at, look at these things that way based upon, you know, two of our major centers, because if you look at, small town Saskatchewan, really they're not as affected by the both ups and downs of, of the market. I tend to agree with you on that. CMHC is a national company, as is Canada Guarantee and Genworth Financial. They are all looking at things on a nationalistic basis. So to throw in Toronto, which is completely different than the Calgary market, Oh, 100%. Or even Vancouver. I mean, we've seen large variances with Vancouver and their investment market, where we've seen a significant slowdown in terms of their purchasing. Although perhaps Toronto, with their manufacturing, we see a stronger economy. So, so we see things really chugging along over there versus Calgary, which is another major urban center but we see low oil prices. We see the lack of getting oil out onto the market, onto the world market. So th there, are, there are variances, but uh, one rule follows all in terms of what the federal government wants to do from a national perspective. Yeah, they have the... Best of intentions, I think, by doing this and just making sure that people aren't overstretched, right, financially. and Agreed. I would say that that is one of the main reasons why the CMHC, in looking at these rule changes, came up with these three specific changes. The rationale was because of the overall slowdown in the marketplace, and this is across Canada, where everyone, all provinces are really being impacted. The CMHC reported one of the justifications in making these changes is because they see foreclosure rates going up. They see these properties at risk. They're also seeing potential in bankruptcies going up as well. And those are the real concerns that CMHC has specifically when they were looking at implementing these changes. A misconception though, is there have been discussions in regards to CMHC changing minimum down payment. 
from 5% to 10%. And the only reason why I'm mentioning this to you is because... Yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard rumblings of this, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the only reason why I'm really mentioning this to you is because on one hand, it really hasn't passed the discussion phase. Yet on the other hand, I'm hearing more and more from the public that there will be that change come July 1. <laughs> and so that's a real concern and that's a misconception. Part of my job as a broker is to educate the public and to make sure that they're making their decisions based on factual information. And so unfortunately, there have been a number of clients and applicants rushing to the scene to wanting to purchase a property and obtain financing for that property because they think that the move between the 5% to the 10% will happen in the next few days come July 1. And that's simply not the case. They're maintaining those three rule changes that we discussed. Saying that, and this is, this is something else that I think may be a misconception out there in the marketplace, is that CMHC seems to be perceived as the be-all, end-all when it comes to that mortgage insurance product that's out there. And in reality, there are more than just CMHC. There's CMHC, what is it, Canada, Canada Guarantee, Guarantee, and, and Genworth Financial. Correct. Yeah. And I alluded to that before in the past, being mindful of the fact that I wanted to ensure that we talk more about that and agree. That is one of those misconceptions that I'd like to address. The one misconception is that if CMAC changes their guidelines, that Genworth and Canada Guarantee will automatically follow suit. It's important to note and to kind of keep things in perspective that they do hold, all three of them do hold very similar policies and programs on a vast majority of their programs available. There are slight differences here and there. Could there be, or is there a tendency for those other insurance companies to follow suit with CMAC? There can be, given the history of what Canada Guarantee and Genworth Financial have done before in the past when it comes to previous rule changes, but at current date, I can tell you that they are not going to make those same changes. Um, will Can it happen in the future? It may certainly come to that point where Genworth Financial and Canada Guarantee do make those changes or do come closer to those policies. But so far, they're looking at it in a different perspective and they're seeing that there is a way to maintain their current policy without future risk associated with the additional insurance that they would provide to the Canadian market. Perfect. So saying all this with rumblings to again of the market being a reduction in, in the average home price in the market, which I think is, is really important to look at if someone was to say the market's coming down by say a hundred thousand dollars, 
right? But like, well, the average price, you know, if, if there's reports of this, you know, the average home price might be come down by $100,000, that it's important to understand that that's not, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's not necessarily that your $550,000 house next year is going to be worth 450000 Some of these predictions are based on on things like the amount of, you know, luxury homes that are being sold and where there's a, a bigger disparity in prices. I agree with you. We talked about the, the national perspective and we talked about the difference between a national perspective and a local perspective. Now we're talking about each community, local market, that when you look at house prices within that local market, you do have small condo markets. You do have your average price market, which could be anywhere between you know, 300, 400, 500,000. And then you do have your higher end markets. Those numbers tend to be, I think, a little bit more skewed when you have these higher end priced homes. When they take a reduction, the local market takes a reduction. When you have you know, local markets all across Canada taking that same reduction or very similar, then if there's less of an appetite for those multi-million dollar properties, then it does throw the, the average cost to purchase down. That, that may not be necessarily the case. A great example of that would be, I wouldn't necessarily say in, in this particular market, but a great example of this is where the condo market can be increasing, right? And then the purchase price of single-family detached homes at maybe 500000 and above might be decreasing. And so there's justifications there. It could be, you know, the first-time homebuyer market is, is peaking at that point, and the condo market is peaking at that point. I would say maybe more so possibly in the Toronto market or the Vancouver market, where prices of, of condos tend to be a little bit more affordable. In Calgary, in the local markets here, or in the smaller communities in Alberta, it could be into these smaller single-family detached homes, not necessarily the condo market. We've seen a decline in condo values here, and the rationale could be because the smaller single-family detached homes or, or half condos or duplex type properties are more affordable. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I, I feel that a lot of um, news articles and, and radio shows when it comes to start, when they start to talk about real estate or even investments of, of any kind, they, they talk in broad strokes and, and really anyone's particular situation should be looked at at like the macro level and they, and you know, they're, they're their own specific market, right? Where, yeah, you might have a boom for first time home buyers because everything is affordable, which will drive the average price down if it's not that seven, $800,000 market. But all of a sudden, if you have a boom in that market, yeah, all of a sudden the average price is going to, is going to climb significantly but it has no reflection on necessarily no reflection on the first time home buyer market in that 300 to $400,000 range. So it's, you got to look at each segment differently. And I also find that you have to look at each community differently because 
even though we've seen a bit of a roller coaster over the last few years, there are certain communities that are relatively unscathed by anything. They just kind of float around because they're very desirable areas and very stable or, or even have seen some increases. Yeah. Where many other communities have seen decreases. So it is more about being educated in regards to the market. But I would have to say, when talking about a first time home buyer, I think it's a win win scenario for the first time home buyer. Because on average, if prices are down in the community, specifically the Calgary community, what we're, let's talk about, yeah. then they're not only looking at purchasing at, at a lower value, but interest rates are really low right now too. So if you can get into the market, I know right now, as, as, as of this podcast, it's June 29th. <laughs> we're, getting, um, we're getting close to Canada Day. <laughs> we are, yes. And so if you are going to be purchasing a property, and in effect, I mean, we're so close to July 1 right now anyway, so close to the effective new rule changes, that if you can qualify, you do get... I think a, a, a certainly a first-time home buyer gets the benefit from all sides: lower purchase price, lower interest rates. Uh, they get the benefit of a lower mortgage payment. Uh, they can afford a little bit more. They can be more comfortable in their in their home. Five-year terms are really low. They're in that they're in that hovering around that two percent range for a five-year fixed rate term. That is, to me, insanity because, I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years now, real estate. I remember when I first got into the business, a five or a six percent interest rate, everyone was screaming like, hey, and this is as, as the market was taking a hit. Everyone's saying interest rates are so low. This is un- unbelievable. They were, they were shocked at five and six percent. We're that like two, 2.19 I've seen. I think it's important too to, to look at that separately from purchase price or maybe even as a total package. I mean, depending on how, how I explain it here. But so if you're looking at prices and you're saying, okay, prices are probably going to come down because, you know, we're not in the best of markets right now. But with interest rates being what they are, the, the effect of the interest rate how does that have an effect on price compared to the actual price of the home? If I was to expect maybe a a $400,000 home to be coming down, like, Oh, maybe I could get it. Maybe I could get it in six months for 390. Maybe it's going to come down by just over 2% or, or whatever versus getting a good interest rate. What's the better way to go there? It's more of a question of really, when do you pull the trigger? Yeah. When do you say, okay, now is the time to buy? I would suggest, and rightfully so, looking at it as a holistic way is an important point. And I think that's the point that you're making is to say that if purchase prices are going to come down, and so if the value of the home may come down from 500 to 490 or 495 is it worthwhile to wait for that price to come down and and that's only if it comes down and meanwhile while you're waiting you go from a two percent rate to a three percent rate 
And so then the question is, you just lost potentially all of your gains by waiting for the value of the property to come down and you've in essence, increase your cost of borrowing. So, so really, the the effective savings is, in essence, potentially could have completely negated all of those savings that you were waiting on, or it could have even cost you extra, uh, dependent on what the interest rates have increased to. Also, keep in mind that since two thousand eight, since the credit crunch of 2008, we've seen many changes to mortgage rules. And I think we're still going to end up seeing many more changes to come, unfortunately. And I think that there's going to be more restrictions. And it really is going to be dependent on what happens with COVID-19. Are we going to enter into a second wave of COVID-19? Do we have to keep isolating ourselves? When the markets are opening, as as they are now, they're just in the initial phases of, of opening, we're seeing signs of businesses not being able to reopen or maybe not reopen in the same way. Can the businesses survive getting them to their market, whatever their phase is, whether it's phase one, phase two, phase three, will they be able to survive to get to that point? If they do, can they survive ongoing? I think we're going to be in a completely different type of economy, a different type of market. And I think it's one where many businesses will need to make those adjustments. I think so too. And then actually I'm going to, I'm going to take a bit of a, left turn here with with where we're at you know you mentioned the small businesses and and having some trouble which I, I think it's very important as as we come out of this to be making sure that we support local and get out there and support your local businesses support your your local eateries and i'm not in a huge rush to get out to a pub or anything like that or you know in any bars or anything like that where Many of my clients would like to to get together for a beer or whatnot. Saying that, I have been out a couple times as as things have reopened here, and I am shocked at how busy these places are. I think people have been pent up and they're ready to get out. And I think you've mentioned a second wave, and I think you know if we're not cautious going forward we could see that second second wave be a little more serious than what we were expecting just to add to that it's certainly more serious in other areas and in other countries and regionally there are just as there are differences in the marketplace regionally i think that there are differences in where we are and how we are reacting to covid-19 on a regional basis as well our Calgary community is very different to Toronto, to the east. There are differences. When you look as the markets open up and as more people are congregating in appropriate and maybe sometimes not so appropriate mm-hmm. ways around the world, we see the effects of what is happening there. And that should be a lesson 
in terms of what we need to do in our local area as well. I think we need to draw from those lessons. Absolutely. So saying all this, a question, a question that I do ask all of my guests, just because Calgary is full of people from other places. <laughs> um, where are you from, Leonard? <laughs> I was just say, where, where are you from? Are you originally from Calgary? Or are you from somewhere else? I am. I am from Calgary. Pretty much born and raised. Uh, that in, in is a rarity. It is unusual. I always get that reaction because you're right. Everyone is from everywhere else. Yeah, pretty much born and raised in Calgary. And so I've seen many different changes to our, our Calgary community. I've seen, uh, you know, population explosions, immigration. I've seen wonderful booms in, in business and building and ingenuity. I've seen many things happen over time. And uh, the one constant is change. Always always changing, always evolving, always adapting. And that's who Albertans are. That's who we are. Yeah, Whether absolutely. you come from the East, the West, the South, the North, it really doesn't matter. I believe the heart of Albertans, they have that, that resiliency. They have that adaptability where they can change. We are we are hard workers. We want to do what's right, not only within our Calgary community, but even outside of our community. So I, I think the one constant is is change. And I think our our successes have been due to our reaction to the change, our very positive reaction, our very roll up the sleeves and get to work reactions and uh, making mindful changes to address our concerns in our community and also to address our concerns in Canada as well. Because you are a true like native Calgarian, mm -hmm. what would be your favorite community? Like some of your favorite features of Calgary? Well, boy, I mean, that's, you know, there's, there, there's so many. So I'll put you and, on the hot seat. <laughs> and, uh, um, and um, you know, and we, we only have an hour to discuss it. <laughs> I hope I do justice to describing our calorie community. I think we have wonderful teams, um, the Calgary flames, the roughnecks, the hitmen, you know, those are just wonderful, wonderful ways of showing Calgary pride and, and what a wonderful community to be part of that, not only part of the audience, but really when, when you go to the Saddle Dome uh, and, and see the uh, sporting events, it's really to be part of that community. It's such a, it's such a great experience. The Calgary Stampede, of course, world-renowned, right? Where we're so well-known. People from all over the world come to the Calgary Stampede. We open up our doors and we open up our hearts to people all over, from all over, all different cultures. And, and we do that as part of the Calgary Pride. We have such pride in our, our community and we want to show off what we're all about. I couldn't agree with you more. And there was a few, few things in there that had me thinking 
we're, we're talking about community and especially when you're talking about teams. Circling back to the beginning, we're talking about how it's going to be potentially tougher for people to purchase. And I know that you and I have discussed, I was going to say extensively, but maybe not so extensively. We've discussed the, the idea of team home buying where you take two or three or, you know, maybe even four people that want to come together to purchase a home to increase their, their buying power and whether it may be a home or, you know, uh, a fourplex even, right. Where each buys a side or, or uh, maybe an up and down suite where two friends get together and, you know, or two families get together and say, okay, I'll buy the up, you buy the down. Do you think that this is something that is a good move or should be, should be, looked at or, or trending. Um, I, I, I see, I see very little downside to it myself other than, uh, then you have to pick your, you have to pick a good neighbor. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> a neighbor that you're going to end up living with. I agree. I, I think that, you know, you know, we, we, 